I, I don't often get to, to travel. Uh, I, I think I, I long idolized that for my, my friends who traveled for business or for music or, or things like that. And uh, every now and then I get to do it, and I get, I get really excited. It's kind of fun. I don't have to buy the plane ticket. That's kind of nice. Uh, and, then, and then, like, on day two, I'm like, I miss my bed. <laughs> I miss my wife and my kids. So I'm glad to be back. Um, Kansas City was wonderful. It was also super humid. And um, so there's a lot of reasons why I'm glad to be back. And I'm glad to be with you all. We are, we're in Ephesians. And um, a quick, quick side note that is related to where we're going with Ephesians. But if you get our emails, you may have seen a request for you to send me a photograph of yourself, a selfie. Uh, at 10 a.m., I, I think I said on Friday, but really any day, just 10 a.m. comes around, send me a quick selfie. The Stevens have been really good. I've gotten a couple of selfies from you guys, which has been awesome. Um, Where we're going in Ephesians is Paul is going to explain or or, or give us uh, a vision for all of life lived in Christ, for every area of life, uh, for what it looks like when someone who is in Christ lives their life, and for their, their work, and their marriage, and their relationship. And so what I thought would be a helpful visual aid is if you all just sent me pictures of places where you are, the places in life where you are at 10 a.m. on some random day, just to give us a visual of all of the places, all of the situations in life where we are living our life in Christ, where we are walking this faith out. I'm not going to do anything else with the pictures other than Show them on the screen. So if you don't want your picture shown on the screen, don't send me a picture. But uh, it would be really helpful and really fun uh, if you would do that. So there's the plug. Uh, I watched uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up. I don't know if uh, the rest of you did or many of you did. If you're younger, like our kids now, you watch Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which is the cartoon version of it. That's good, but it's not, you know, it's not Mr. Rogers, right? Uh, and I, I that, that opening sequence is so famous, right? The, the song begins, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, and he, he walks into the door, and every time there's this ritual that he goes through, right? He takes off his outer jacket, he hangs it very neatly on a hanger, pulls out another, what I always thought was just another jacket. I was like, why are you changing your jackets? Uh, but a cardigan, puts that on, zips it up, goes and sits down on the bench, takes his shoes off, throws one to the other, and then puts on his indoor sneakers. And that was the start of every show. In fact, that became so iconic that his cardigans, which his mother made for him until she passed away, right? Pretty amazing. Um, Those cardigans and uh, a pair of those canvas shoes are in the Smithsonian because of how iconic they were. Um, it, It confused me, though, growing up, because we were not a family that took our shoes off in the house, so we just wore our outside shoes inside, and then I thought it was one jacket exchanging for another one. So uh, it wasn't until later that I learned you know, these were very intentional things that he did to acknowledge that there was a change taking place. That he was coming in from the outside to the inside. That he was coming in from the world of adults to the world of children into this land of make-believe. And so this ritual at the beginning of it highlighted that there was a change taking place. He was putting off, taking off the things from this other world and putting on these familiar, comforting things that acknowledge that this is a a new place that we are, a new reality we're entering into here. It's a place where kids are safe, and it's a place where we can 
imagine things and we can play make-believe and it's okay. That language of changing clothes and, and kind of the significance of changing clothes is something that Paul uses in our passage today in Ephesians. He talks about taking off our old self and putting on a new self. Taking off the old and putting on the new. And so if that image of Mr. Rogers is helpful for you because everybody loves Mr. Rogers, uh, keep that image in your mind uh, as we read today from Ephesians. So just a quick reminder of where we've been. Uh, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's talking about what it is to be in Christ and just marveling at the goodness of the good news. That you and I, though we are sinful creatures, have been forgiven and we have been brought in Christ. And the invitation in the first three chapters is, is to be in Christ, to accept this free gift of grace and to find yourself through no work on your own, to find yourself in Christ. Then there's a turn that happens, and we navigated this turn last week with Randy, where uh, Paul says, in light of all of this, in light of all the good news, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You've received a calling, and the calling is to be in Christ, to come to Christ and receive grace, receive forgiveness, and receive new life. In light of that, that's going to change how you live. So now, for the remainder of Ephesians, Paul explores what does this new life look like, practically speaking. Uh, and in the passage today, uh, it, it's a long passage. I'm not going to have time actually to read it all. But Paul highlights all kinds of different areas of life where we, where we are to exhibit evidence uh, of this new life where we are to, to show and to display the fact that we are in Christ and that that actually makes a difference. There's a different way of living for those who are in Christ. So let me read. I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 17. If you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your phones, it's also going to be on the screen here. We're just going to read two paragraphs here. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And Drew highlighted that Gentiles isn't necessarily a particular ethnic group. It just sort of means the nations, the peoples, right? Those who are, who are not in Christ. No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to take it off which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and then to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Later on, Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is, these are some of the ways that he describes this, this difference there's something that's supposed to be different about those of us who are in Christ. 
There's an old way of doing things, but, but now there's a new way. There, there was darkness that we were. In fact, it, it, it's an interesting phrase here. It's not you were once in darkness. It's you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So there's this contrast that Paul is setting up. And in all these areas that he's about to go into, he, he often says, you used to act this way, but, but now you act this way. The language of old life and new life uh, can be a struggle for some of us. Some of us uh, who have came to faith in Christ at a later age, we might have a pretty distinct vision of what our life used to look like and what it looks like now. For some of us, maybe you grew up in the church and there's never really been a significant chunk of time where you would say, I was, you know, I was not at least seeking to follow God. Um, and so it can be a little harder to imagine an old way of life and contrast it with a new way of life. That's, that's the place that I find myself. And I, I'm very grateful to have, have grown up in the faith and with a, a loving Christian family. Um, but it's harder for me to imagine this, this old lad. I was never like a drug dealing street brawler. I, that's not part of my story. And if, and if that's you, that God's grace covers everything. This is the good news. But, but for me, what I have to uh, recognize here is that there is a tension that I feel, that I think we all feel between this old way of life and this new way of life, a tension that exists within us because we struggle with sin, all of us, no matter how long we've been following Christ. Uh, Paul talks about this tension in Romans where he, he says, I, I, I do, you know, oh, what a wretched man I am. I do what I don't want to do. So he has a desire for the good, but he feels this, this pull and this tension towards, um, well, and, you know, another way that the Bible talks about it is uh, the, the, the flesh, right? The life of the flesh or this worldly way of life. So whether or not you have had a dramatic shift in your life and where, whether you can point to an old way of life contrasting it with a new way of life, all of us experience this struggle between the old way of life and the new way of life internally. As we go through these examples which we will in just a second, I, the, the crucial thing is going to be remembering that what Paul's after here is not a new moral rule of law. He's not after trying to create a new checklist for us to mark off and say, oh, well, I'm good there. Oh, good there. Mm, not so good there. Instead, he's describing what this new life in Christ looks like. In the invitation certainly in the first three chapters of Ephesians, but including as we keep going, the invitation is to return to Christ, to come back to Christ, to renew your intimacy with Christ. And then as you do that, you will find that your life starts to look different, that there are changes that begin to happen. Changes, for example, in your speech, in the way that you talk, in the way that you communicate. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When I was in high school, I was in a Bible study with uh, some of my best friends, and we were high school guys. And so the only way that we knew how to show any love and affection towards each other was to make fun of each other. That was, that was our vocabulary. That's the only thing we knew how to do. And finally, uh, the youth pastor, who was our, our Bible study leader, he called us on that. He said, I know you guys love each other. I know you guys care about each other, but you would never know it from the way you talk to each other. 
And then he drew us to this verse. He, he drew our attention to this verse, and it, it forever has kind of been burned into my mind because of that, that really poignant moment um, where he said, but what, if, what if, as a group, we committed to talking this way to each other, to not letting any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but looking at the needs of the others in the group, what if we sought to build each other up, to encourage each other, and if that was the way that we chose to speak to each other as a reflection of the fact that we're in Christ, that we, we, we are new creations. Paul goes on in uh, other parts of this passage here. He talks about the old life. It's full of obscenity, full of foolish talk and coarse joking. But the new life is full of songs from the spirit. He actually talks about singing to each other. That's, that's part of how, how, our, how our speech is to be perceived. That we're actually, it's, we're to receive it like a song that someone's singing to us. Full of thankfulness and full of mutual encouragement. Again, the theme here is not make a mental checklist of everything that you're saying. The theme is if you find that your speech reflects more of this old way of life, maybe that's an indication that you need to throw yourself back on Christ. Come back to Christ in prayer and say, I want my speech to reflect your life. I want my speech to reflect your speech, the way that you talked to people, the way that you uh, were compassionate and encouraging of people way that you encountered people who were down and you, you lifted them up by encouraging them. Uh, we live in a culture that's very obsessed with self-expression, right? And often that becomes the excuse for basically getting to say whatever you want, no matter how it affects people, right? It, I'm just being me. You do you, I'm going to do me. Sorry if you can't handle that. You're bad, Right? <laughs> But the vision here that Paul's describing is about taking primarily into account the needs of those around us and saying, how can my speech, how can the way that I communicate encourage and build them up? That's evidence of a new life in Christ. If you're living a new life in Christ, another piece of evidence would be your attitudes towards others. Your attitudes towards others will be different, specifically when it comes to anger. In your anger, do not sin, Paul says. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get rid of bitterness, all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, and every form of malice. In your anger, do not sin. Paul gives three reasons why. Why these are uh, evidence of the old life rather than the new life. Uh, if, we, if we allow anger to take root in us, one of the things that that does, Paul says, is that it gives the devil a foothold in our life. There's kind of this image of, uh, I don't know, like a protective wall, right, around, around our lives. But anger, when anger takes hold, it gives the devil a, like a foothold, like he's climbing up the wall. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. The, there's a lot of different ways you could take that image. But there's a sense that when, when anger takes root in us, that uh, it, it gives the, the devil avenues into other, other areas of our lives. Second reason Paul gives is why anger is part of this old life, not part of the new life, um, or why, why it can't be part of the new life, is that we are all part of one body. The, the unity of the church is a big theme throughout Ephesians. And you, you can't get mad at another part of your body. You need that part of your body to live, to survive. We need each other. Anger is, is, is inappropriate in the church. 
And finally, and this is probably the most core foundational reason that, that Paul gives here, is that God in Christ has forgiven you. So if God has forgiven us, who are we to not forgive others? This is part of the Lord's prayer, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray that every week. We're going to pray it after the sermon this morning. So instead, the description of the new life is that we're putting off anger uh, and we're being clothed with a spirit-filled life that's full of kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Walking like Christ did in the way of love. This is how Paul describes this new life in Christ. There are a few moments where we get a glimpse into Jesus' life where he expresses some amount of righteous anger. And we have to pay attention to those. uh, And and we can't discount those. We can't say, oh, you can never be angry or express anger. But we have to recognize that these were very few moments in Jesus' life and that they were very specifically targeted um, not at people but at injustice. Right When those who were on the margins, who were poor, were being mistreated, that's when we see this righteous anger come out of Jesus. Again, as I try to reflect on our culture, there's a new virtue that I think has sort of risen to the top uh, as something that, well, that is seen as a virtue, uh, and it's the virtue of outrage, right? When you see something that is, is off or is wrong, we get outraged, extremely anger, and then we get people around us who are outraged at the same things, and that feeds that outrage. And, um, and again, I want to be careful. It's not that we can't be angry at injustice. I think that that, too, is evidence of God's spirit at work. But I think how we express it which again comes back to our speech, our communication, and how we feed and fuel it. I think those are things that our culture has sort of just fuel on the fire and the outrage grows, right? Everybody's outraged at everything. (laughs) But that's not the way of life in Christ. The way of life in Christ is, is recognizing when there's anger, and then going and making things right, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Seek, seek whoever it is out and be reconciled to each other. Whatever that takes. That's the, the priority for this new life in Christ. And it, it's going to impact our speech, right? If we are genuinely loving, compassionate, forgiving towards someone, then our speech is going to be much more naturally encouraging and loving towards them. Paul keeps going, right? He talks about our sexual purity. Have not even a hint of sexual impurity in your lives. That the new life in Christ, uh, one of the ways that that makes it becomes evident is the way that we handle our sexuality. And in fact, the way that we say that it's not ours to do with what we want. The way that we take it to Christ and we would say, "What, what would you have me do? It's the ways that we are uh, chaste in singleness and faithful in marriage. These are descriptions of the new life in Christ. He talks about our relationship to money, uh, our relationship to work, and the ways that those are interconnected, that that greediness, just taking all that we have, uh, that there's no place for that in this new life. 
that actually the way that, the way that we approach work is impacted. That we don't just work because we have to um, or because you know, we're trying to get all we can from our work. But we actually work in order to serve, in order to give. We work in order to, so that we don't have to steal. That's one thing that he says. Um, we work so that the things that we create in our work might serve others. And that so the compensation we get for our work, if we are compensated for our work, uh, gives us something to be generous with. It's a, a, a radical reorientation of our entire lives towards our work and towards money. And again, this is not a new list of rules. And I think this is, this is the challenge we face as we read all of these different areas that Paul talks about. This is not a new list of rules, but it's a description of what a new life in Christ looks like. So the invitation in all these areas is to return to Christ, to go to Christ in prayer, to grow in your intimacy with him. And so one, one way to read the passage might be to, in, in all these areas that Paul walks through, to sort of do a little inventory and say, is that, is that reflective more of the, my old self, the old way of life, or a, my new life in Christ? And if you sense that there are some areas where, oh, that's anger. I get angry very quickly, and it lingers. It, it takes hold. It, I, I do have that sense that the devil's getting a foothold in my life because it lingers. Don't beat yourself up because Christ is not beating you up over that. He's forgiven you for that. But instead, let that be a motivation to turn towards Christ again. This is what repentance means, right? It's just turning. It's turning around. To engage in prayer. To read in the scriptures the stories of Jesus and the way that he encounters people, the way that he treats people. It's an invitation to remind yourself that the fundamental truth of your life is that you are in Christ. If you have put your faith in him, you are in Christ. And I know I've said that a lot, but it's because Paul says it a lot. <laughs> so I'm trying to get that in us. I've referenced uh, this book. I don't have it with me, but uh, a Chinese pastor in the 30s and 40s who's a part of this uh, growth of this indigenous Chinese church movement back in the 30s and 40s named Watchman Nee. He wrote this fantastic book on Ephesians that I would highly recommend to you all called Sit, Stay. Sit, walk, stand. And I always have to get it right because the order is not the way that I would write it. But it's the way that Ephesians is laid out. These postures of sitting, resting in what Christ has done, then walking this faith out, and then standing in opposition to the devil, trusting that God has already defeated him. So now we're, we're in the walking part of this sit, walk, stand progression. And as he talks about these, these three different postures, um, the challenge is to think that once we have rested in Christ, once we have accepted Christ, well, then now it's time to live life, and we just go and we, we do our life. But the reality is that we are always needing to be brought back to this posture of sitting and resting in Christ. That whatever we do, whatever activity in our life uh, demonstrates our faith, that it always comes from a place of resting in Christ. And when we struggle, and I'm guessing that as I have mentioned some of these areas that Paul addresses, that there's at least one of them where you thought, ooh, that, one's, that one challenges me. What do we do? What do we do with that? 
Well, here's a a wonderful quote from him that I think, Paul, if you want to throw this up. It would be better to have no doctrine than to be a contradiction. Has God commanded something? Then throw yourself back on God for the means to do what he has commanded. Throw yourself back on God for the means to do what he has commanded. Uh, so I was in Kansas City this last week for this pastors network that I'm a part of called Made to Flourish. That's helping, trying to help pastors and um, and their churches understand just all of the deep implications of integrating our faith, work, and economic life. I have so much to learn. So don't think that just because I went to this or I'm a part of this that I know everything about faith, work, and economics. <laughs> but I'm learning. There is a program that many of us have done that is also being done around the country called the Fellows Program. Ours was called Cascade Fellows, run out of Fuller Seminary. A lot of them are based on a Fellows Program run out of a a church called Redeemer Presbyterian in New York. And one of the panels I went to was uh, people who are starting these programs in cities all over the country. And it's a robust uh, curriculum where you, you dive deeply into the Christian faith and into the implications for you and your work. And this one woman was sharing an exercise that they had done, that she had done with her fellows over a couple of years, where at the beginning of the program, she kind of has them assess where they are in a number of areas of life. And one of the ways is by asking them, how do you, how do you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit? You know, if you were to take the, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the rest, how good at you are, are putting those into practice. And so they kind of rank themselves. And then as they go through the program, a big part of what, what one learns as through the readings and through conversation and through scripture is just how deeply sin has impacted us. Just how deeply sin has twisted every good thing in creation. And how deeply God's grace has forgiven and is renewing everything. And then at the end of the year, she has them redo the assessment. And inevitably, she says, what they find is that people, people say that they're actually exhibiting less fruit of the Spirit at the end of the year, which could be initially taken as a failure, but actually is probably is more reflective of the fact that they are more aware of their own sinfulness. They're more aware of the depth of sin and how it has twisted everything and more aware of how deep God's grace is, of just how deep his forgiveness and his love and his restorative work is in their lives. And I think that this passage in Ephesians might function in a similar way, where on a cursory reading, you might not think much of it, but as you go back and as you read these different areas that Paul addresses there, he brings up and he talks about, it used to be this way in the old life, but now it's this way in the new life. And I think as we grow in our faith, we may see more and more of those areas or, or, or deeper ways where it, our anger or our speech have, uh, have actually shown more evidence of this old life. And that actually may be growth in the faith. That might be maturity in us, recognizing how more and more I do struggle with that. But that's not where it ends. right? The good news is not simply an awareness of our own depravity, though that's a piece of it. The good news ultimately is that God has forgiven it all. He's dealt with it all once and for all, 
on the cross and has called us and equipped us for this new life. So I'm going to leave a little space for prayer here. A little silence. Perhaps there is one of those areas that was uh, brought up that's kind of nagging in your mind. Let it be something that spurs you to prayer, that draws you deeper and more intimately to Christ. That you would know his forgiveness and that you would receive the power of the Spirit that's going to start to form you so that anger has less of a foothold in your life. So that your speech is seasoned with grace and encouragement. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we know we know that we have fallen short. We know that there are areas in our lives where we are still clinging to that old way of life, where that old grungy jacket is still on. So the first thing we do is simply confess that to you, to acknowledge what is true, because you know all things. But then, Lord, we ask for help. We ask for your grace. You would help us to take off that old self, to increase our desire for you, for this new life. that it would be more and more natural for us to come to you in prayer. That it would be more and more natural for us to speak encouragement to those that are around us. That it would become, slowly maybe, but still, that it would become easier to let go of anger and bitterness. submit our desires to you to be generous with the resources we have and when we fail would we quickly quickly turn to you acknowledging yet again our failure and receiving yet again your grace Lord grow us up as individuals and as your church, into the image of our Savior Jesus.